0: One sec.
1: Go. May it be your will, Adonai my God, that a mishap not come about through us, and may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. May we not say something regarding something that, which is to may, that it is to whore. and not regarding something which is to whore, that it is to may. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and we rejoice over them, for Adonai grants wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes, and may we perceive wonders from your Torah. So this is round two of Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua's most famous sermon and longest, Uh, taking a look at it from a, well, not from a Jewish perspective, we're seeing it from its actual perspective, which is Jewish. Um, If you look at, as we we went through last week through the um, Beatitudes, we kind of hopefully got a chance to see that when Yeshua is speaking these words, he's speaking to his disciples, his disciples are, are... Jewish. They're also um, studied. They're people who attend synagogue to some degree. Not like they're not like scholars, but at that culture and time, they knew their Torah. Absolutely. That way. And uh, so he's using a lot of Jewish idioms. He's using a lot of Bible verse cross references. He's pulling a lot of stuff out of Psalms and out of the Torah and other parts of the uh, the writings and prophets. And you get to get the real gist of what he's saying, uh, the real heart of what he's saying, rather. You need to have a, at least a, a, some level of understanding of Jewish culture and Jewish teachings. And by Jewish, I'm specifically thinking more Orthodox, religious um, overall culture. I know it's not a homogenous group, but just sort of like the things that the the things that we generally understand, talk about, um, references that we're making, actions that we're doing. Uh, so in in this week, we're going to go through the rest of Chapter Five. Um, there's a lot in here. And it's really cool, because I, I think that as Yeshua is going through this, um, as we talked a little bit last week, one of the things we're trying to do is um, look at this sermon and understand, like, what okay what's his overall point, and what's our, like, sub-points within that. And um, the overall point is really hitting at, um, like, serving God wholeheartedly, like, all the way through. What does it really mean to serve God? And uh, the chapter 5 really, in my opinion, if you kind of summarize chapter 5, is something like, looking good's not good enough. Um, and the second half of chapter 5 really hits on this point. Is He's, really, he's going to really go into um, uh, the things. You might think it's good enough to do X, but I tell you that really, if, in order to keep the Torah, you need to be doing Y. And um, one of the things that he does in this passage that I want to start off with... Um, one of his most famous references in this passage is that you have heard it said, but I say unto you. And oftentimes Christians misunderstand this, and maybe other people as well, saying that Yeshua is undoing or going above and beyond what the Torah says. The Torah says this, but I'm telling you, that's not good enough. Or, but I'm telling you, do this instead. And actually, um, really what he's getting at is this is where it starts to get into the issue of like, ethical halakha. And Halakha being the way we walk is how we understand what the commandments mean. Um, If you read the Perkei Avot, I'm sure you have. uh, In the Perkaya Avot, one of the sections uh, specifically argues against the dangers of using wisdom to undermine the Torah. And the point that they're trying to make is not that you shouldn't use wisdom in applying it. Because actually, Judaism encourages, especially in personal application, to study the scriptures and to think about, how does this apply to me? How do I do this? how do I live out this practice? But what the Perkeyevote's warning against is the danger of using your wisdom to find uh, unintended or non existent loopholes. Okay, how do I get out of doing this? Right. Or how do I do this a little bit less? Right. And so, what I believe Yeshua is really getting at with the you've heard it said back and forth, and really most of this entire chapter, is he is attacking those loopholes. He's attacking. Um, what may I don't know? I don't have historical evidence of this, but I could under, I could perceive the possibility of of arguments being made of well, when it says thou shalt murder, it only means literally thou shalt murder. Anything else is fair game, but like that, that is bad. And so Yeshua is coming at it with a no, 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 no. The heart of the scripture is this. Um, if you've read Rambam's Mesilat Yesharim, mm-hmm. he's doing the same thing. This is very common in, in Jewish ethical studies to say the surface level is X. But really, what we need to get at is down here, um, and that's not again not trying to go above and beyond. It's simply trying to make sure we understand it. Yes, sir. Actually, in support of what you're saying, the problem that we have is in English, the word "but"
2: is an is an antonym to, to the word "and," hmm. but in Greek, it's the same word. Right, and so so what we're doing is we're reading we're we're reading opposing clauses. Or what it appear to be right. right and not seeing that in the Greek, it's not opposing clauses. It might be opposing clauses, but it also might be parallel clauses. And if you compare mm-hmm. what you're talking about with Perkeia Boat's reference to, or Rauchal's reference to using uh, wisdom to uh, find the deeper meaning, that's, that does appear that it would be a, it, it would be a, uh, a uh, rather than a, an opposing clauses, it would be parallel clauses. Mm-hmm. In other words, here's what, here's what you've heard let me explain the heart behind it. Yeah.
0: Right. So, as as we saw, we, we talked about this Matthew five when we went through Ram Kahl's book, and um, it, it, I mean, it was such an eye opener to me, not having any idea what do they call that? Um, Musar mm, ethics. And, yeah. Yeah. No, no clue. And yet, this is a branch of Jewish study, right? Or Judaic study that has been, you know, going on for. Ages and ages, and and here it, it uh, when we compared it with that book, Matthew five looks like he's doing just that. Mm-hmm. He, you know, here's here's what you've been taught. There's nothing wrong with that, but really, if mean, if you, you want to be righteous, because that's where he's right. he brings in later. You know, if your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees, if if you're looking to do it, really, the heart. You know, as your dad said. The, the, the right way. Right. Here here's here's that level you're looking for. Right? Right. And here's where you wanna you wanna approach and it. And as we get in as we dig
3: it's a oh. term the in commentary, right? He's giving the elucidation of the
2: command. Right. The the that.
3: So when he says, You've already said this or that, and, and I say to you this, it's not it's not an antithesis
1: I agree. Correct. Very true. And I think actually, as, we're, as we once we get into that section, which we will do in a minute, um, which you'll find, as we're going to find out, not only is he not contradicting or um, jumping over the Torah, he's actually simply pulling in other parts of the Torah right. to explain the Torah. Right. So there's a as we get into the cross references, it'll really hit home. So we're going to start off where we left off last time, which is the very famous salt and light passage. Um, if you think about it. This is an interesting um, balanced passage. Um, He says, Yeshua starts off by saying, You are the salt of the earth, and then later says, You are the light of the world. On a surface level, it looks like he's coming up with two very oddly juxtaposed metaphors salt and light. You know, in Christianity, we talk about salt and light, salt and light. It's like, if you think about it logically, one's a food product and one is like a particle slash wave. So the point (laughs) being that, like, we, it's an odd juxtaposition. Unless you start thinking about it from a Jewish cultural perspective. Yes, Brock. I don't know if this
4: is Jewish cultural perspective or not, but uh, when I was reading it uh, earlier today in accordance with your instruction, um, <laughs> the way I saw it was both of these things, light and salt, are, are like they cause change in their environment. Light mm, okay. brings light to the room. Salt changes the taste of whatever food it's That's applied true. to. So that, that's kind of the way I looked at their, their changes, they cause change in their environments.
1: Excellent. That's a good point. It's a very good point. I like that. Um, what we're going to do is dig into a little bit in some scripture passages, because I think salt and light also have another linkage, which is that both of them are temple items. And I'm going to be honest with you right now, I am borrowing somewhat heavily from other teachers who've gone before me, like my father, who does a great Matthew study. Um, I also mentioned last week, um, precept ministry, sermon on the Mount study is good because they do a lot of cross references. Get a lot of Bible verses going. But, um, so we're going to start off, so I'm going to look up Leviticus 2.13, talking about salt. i write that on the board.
0: Okay. Okay. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. You shall not let the salt of the covenant with your God be missing from your grain offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt.
1: Okay, so when Yeshua was saying you are the salt of the earth um, I think one of the things we should be thinking about or I think he, people are probably going to be keying into is this sacrificial salt element. Salt's a big deal like if you have kala on Shabbat you add salt to it again tying in with the offerings um, there's other references as well in the scripture to adding salt to the offerings is an important essential part of the offering um, the next one he uses is light and if you look up numbers uh, chapter 8 1-3 through three, and then someone else can get Leviticus 24 1-3 through three i got numbers. i got Viticus.
2: Okay. Then Adonai spoke to Moshe, saying, Speak to Aharon and say to him, When you mount the lamps, the seven lamps, to give light in front of the lampstand, Aharon therefore did so. He mounted its lamps in front of the lampstand, just as Adonai had commanded Moshe. And this was the workmanship of the lampstand, hammered work of gold, from its base to its flowers. It was hammered work according to the pattern, which Adonai had shown Moshe, so he made the lamp stand. That's
3: the first entry.
4: Good. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives for the light, to make a lamp burn continually, outside the veil of testimony in the tent of meeting. Aaron shall keep it in order from evening to morning before the Lord continually. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout
1: your generations. So you get salt and light. I think are keying in on sacrificial salt and the light from the menorah. Interestingly enough, both items are provided by the people of Israel. The oil for the, for the light comes from the people. Um, and interestingly enough as well, if you look at the reference when Yeshua is talking about the light, he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand so it gives light to all in the house. Well, the house can also be a literal house like this one or a euphemism. What do we call the temple? Yeah. The house. The, the house. Habait. You be- call th- the temple mount. Har be- Habait. Beit Hamikdash. The, ha- the holy house. It's literally a house. So when Yeshua says it lights up all that's in the house, that definitely sounds like it could be alluding to the menorah. So you get this. So if you think about now, okay, we, normally we think salt and light. We think about, um, I, I had an uh, interesting opportunity this <coughs> evening, actually, walking home, a gentleman handing out tracts on the street corner. Um, I told him that I already know Jesus. He was a bit, I think, surprised looking at my uh, Keepa and tzitzit. He then followed up by wanting to know if it was my Lord and Savior. I said yes, and he blessed me, so, um, which is sweet, which is fine. But, 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 I, but I, think, uh, I bring that up because, unfortunately, sometimes salt and light got limited to that. It was only handing out tracts or preaching on street corners or asking people if they know Jesus or saying God bless you in the grocery store. And in actuality, what Yeshua, the entire point here is, is about actions. If we look at verse 16, he says, Let your light shine before men so they may see your good works. Not hear your good words, but see your good works. And if we think about this temple imagery, the menorah and the salt, now we start to see, think, think about ideas of holiness, ideas of sacrifice, ideas of the presence of God, ideas of living separate and different from the rest of the world. And it starts to carry a little bit more weight than just, did you tell that person God bless you when they sneezed? Or did you ask your, you know, the person sitting you on the plane whether or not they know God? It, it really carries a lot more potency. And in fact, ironically enough, the best witness you can have is doing the commandments in the Torah. I'm wearing tzitzit, I can't tell you. I mean, multiple times people are like, what are those? And then I get an opportunity to share. Or I'm taking a day off from work on a random Tuesday in the middle of September, and everyone's like, so why are you asking off again? Let me explain. It's for Rosh Hashanah, we do this, we do that. I shouldn't have to explain this more than one year. (laughs) We saw this last year (laughs) It's right in the Bible (laughs) But the point being is that like, When God tells the people of Israel in Isaiah That you are to be a light to the Gentiles And then Deuteronomy chapter 4 says You're going to do these mitzvot And the nations are going to ask What great God do you have That you have all these great commandments Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it does Way more witnessing opportunities Than I ever got wearing Christian t-shirts Or WWJD bracelets or anything like that Mm Um, because these types of things are intended to stand out, because that's how what God built them in to do, partly, um, as well as the fact that they're also supposed serve as a sign for each other. Now, I want to tie in one more reference that I think Yeshua may have been alluding to in Salt and Light, and this is really cool. It comes from the Talmud, and uh, it's in Megillah. Make sure I get the reference correct. Uh, Megillah 16a. Um, Yehuda ben Uli bar Uli. So this is Megillah sixteen a. In Megillah sixteen a, we get an interesting reference to um, the one of the promises given to the patriarchs. When God tells Abraham, "I will make your descendants like the stars of the heaven and like the dust of the earth," um, the Yehu- uh, Rabbi Yehuda in this uh, bar El- El- Louis, uh references that by saying that. When the, um, that the people of Israel can ascend like the stars to the heaven or they can descend like the dust of the earth and um, in uh, the Orsamach website they kind of interpreted what he's getting at with that reference the idea was that when, they're, when the people of Israel are obedient to Hashem they are like the stars in the heaven they ascend, they're above everything, everything is great when the people of Israel disobey Hashem they're like the dust of the earth now let's think about that in the context of this passage what does Yeshua say? He says, But if the salt should lose lose its flavor, how shall it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, like dust. Then, what does he contrast that to? The next verse, You are the light of the world, just as the stars light up the sky. You get this imagery that when you are being obedient, you can be a light. When you are disobedient, you are the dust of the earth, trampled underfoot by men. So the, I don't know certain if that's what he's getting at, but I think that it's a cool parallel, and I wouldn't be surprised if that's another illusion we're making in this context. I'm going to ask him. Yeah, that's a good question to ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next section is perhaps one of the most um, controversially and poorly read passages in all of Yeshua's words because he starts oh. off by saying, do not think that I came to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill.
0: No, Yeshua abolished the law.
1: No, no, no. He fulfilled the law, which is the same as abolished. Apparently I didn't realize that those were synonyms. (laughs) Um, What's funny about this particular reference is that in certain Jewish tradition, there is an understanding that in a Messianic age, things do change. There's traditions about, like, kosher pigs, for example. There's one big difference. That's not when Messiah just happens to be on the planet that's a different era, as in like the entire universe is structured differently, has never happened before. Yeshua, I think, is alluding to that here by saying I didn't come to change everything. That's not what this mission is about. He's also arguing back because, as we see from Deuteronomy, the passage we just read last week for the Parsha, Deuteronomy chapter 13, a prophet from God has to support the Torah. So he's giving an upfront at the very beginning don't think that I'm here to undo what the Torah says. I'm not. And in fact, the next that verse when he says that I have not come to abolish but to fulfill, he actually finishes or uh, re- reiterates that sentiment in the next verse by mm-hmm. saying, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or, uh, or stroke shall ever pass away from the Torah until all things come to pass. Which goes back to what I was saying earlier about... The universe changing sure. in the messianic era the world, yeah. when everything's come to pass when everything's been fulfilled with every single prophecy has been checked off yes things are going to change then I mean, I not would... the tour is undone but things change
0: yeah, i would say it's the world to come not the messianic era
1: yeah that also i mean like i
0: said i think there. yeah i think i mean you, you lose right okay. to lost your person yep. here. Hmm.
1: okay um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. He alludes to... Uh,
0: he, like you said, I, I was going to say, it's exactly what he's doing. He's alluding to the same thing.
1: Yeah, and if you think about, like, in um, in Isaiah and also in Revelation, it talks about there not being a temple. It's not because God decided, you know, all those temple commands are really lame. We don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> it's really instead because all of a sudden the reason for the temple, that we're pathetic, sinful human beings that can't get in the presence of God, changes. Our bodies change. Well, it tells us physics prophets change.
2: Yeah. Prophets say that the... That the what is holy is expanded, So it covers the entire land. Well, the point of that temple is the holy. So now if the holy is everywhere, the temple is everywhere. Right, Right.
1: so that's an example of how things change. Not undoing, but changing. Um, But only in the world to come, not now. And so um, Yeshua's argument in saying that like, the smallest things don't get done away with, it's such a shame that that gets pulled on its head all too often and misunderstood yeah,
0: only the small things are
1: yeah. surviving <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it is the ama- big things we got rid of it truly <laughs> is
0: amazing that it, it's not good being called evil and evil being called good it's not quite that bad although we're getting there and doing a good job <laughs> but it is amazing that the visible representation of the church has truly turned this on its head and said it means exactly the opposite of what it means I
1: get him and then I got you
0: so
4: I knew we were going to go there with the law. Um, so I, you're not anti-nominalist. No I don't even know what that means. So no, <laughs>
2: absolutely not.
4: <laughs> so when I reread this the, uh, earlier today, I noticed something I hadn't before, which was why does Yeshua include? The prophets, because that's mm. not necessarily what is talked about when we read this. It's focused on mm. the fact that he didn't abolish the law. That's exactly no, good right. point. So, why didn't he say, oh, yeah. why did he include the prophets? And, and just speculating, you know, because he hasn't done everything
1: yet. Right, excellent. That's, a as we, that's really good. As we keyed in on, on the Messiah studies we did earlier this year, yeah. um, Yeshua does check off some big boxes but there's some really big ones that are yet to be fulfilled. Touched, yeah. He's promised to come back and do this later, but you're right, it has not, everything's not done yet. Yes, sir.
5: I was thinking about this passage and in the past, I've thought about it in terms of like the, the whole speeding ticket thing. And, and I've used that one before and I came up with a new one in some translations, the, the Greek word um, for the, the fulfillment, you know, that, you know, it's, I think it appears a lot in Paul, you know, when he talks about the goal of the law or something, or the goal of the Messiah, Tell us. And, and yes, and when, when you when you think about it like that, a lot of the, 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 the traditional Christian representation is is like, okay, well, we, you know, uh, the goal's been met, so we don't have to, to do it anymore. <laughs> right. So I, I thought you get about it. Checked off. Yeah. So I so I thought about it in terms of um, uh, in, in terms of like a bonus structure, and I thought about it in terms of sports. So I was like, okay, in terms of sports, when one team scores a goal, they don't just stop the game and and don't try to score anymore. You just you keep going. You know, the whole idea behind, you know, when you pull over you get speeding ticket, but that thing was but that was fulfilled, that was that was forgiven. When you get back out on the road, the speed the speed limit is still there. The speed limit is still there. So, um, so that that whole concept and it's just uh, so I came up with the the whole. Oh, and with a bonus structure, it's like, well, we, we met our you know, you got you got this one here. We're just gonna stop. No, if if, if you got plenty more time, you got plenty of people. The day is not done yet. Hey, let's let's maximize. The, the bonus. Just
1: because you get the bonus one year doesn't mean you're going to say, well, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> <Yeah. Right>. Exactly.
5: <laughs> that kind of so um, so it, if you're honest with yourself, uh, the, the, all of that is to say, if you're honest with yourself, pretty much everything the visible representation of the church has come to interpret from this passage
1: is, is hogwash. Right, and it, ironically. Um, and if you go to the next verse, you really get this keyed in because the <laughs> next comment is, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven.
2: Yeah, which commandments? The ones you just did away with?
1: In fact, Ooh. interestingly enough, yeah, yeah, right. the least common <coughs> ties back into Judaism again. There is a, a, a quote-unquote least of the commandments. That's, right. That's if you let a uh, the bird, sh- bird sh- sh- shoot the, 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 yes. the bird away. You don't the oh,
2: sorry. bird away. You don't shoot the bird away
1: when you take the nest. That
0: would be the, the mother way. is supposed to not. You're supposed see to see you. do it, but if you yeah. don't do it, if you relax it... You right. violate. You don't chew away the mother. Right. Before you take the children.
1: Right. So you um, and that's the least of the commandments, but it's in the Torah. It doesn't mean that you don't it's not important. It just means that like on the scale of all the different commandments, it's down here. Judaism understands that sometimes commandments, unfortunately, in this human life, head headbutt. You've got rivaling you know, do I do I do this mitzvah or this mitzvah? I don't have a, you know, I have to choose between them in this awful, you know, universe we live in. And and those moments, that's when like the priority structure makes sense. Otherwise, yeah, you have to do all of them. <laughs> There's not like a, I'm going for the I'm just going for the bare minimum. Well, the bare minimum is six thirteen. Um, the uh, the the other element here that he says is um, uh, it, along with the least of these commandments, not only do you have the the element of what is the least commandment but also Judaism teaches it really keys in on this in fact in the, uh, in the Midrash Rabbah from a couple weeks ago uh, it actually ties into that and talks about the idea that like God basically tells people of Israel like they, they compare the least of the commandments to like the dust or something to that effect like if you trample the least of these commandments then God is going to judge you like because it, it, it's easy I think in human life to go well that's really like a minor commandment not that important I'm doing the big ones you know, truth and justice and mercy. You know, if we're going to forget about showing the way to mother bird, but no, if you do, if you if you disregard the small ones, then that shows a disregard for God, and and so the midrash
0: is keying in on that point, um, which is exactly what the master says in the Pharisees in chapter 50 Right. Right. It's like so you're you're tithing from spices. And everyone tells you you have to tithe from spices, but go ahead. That's good. That's good. That's great. I'm impressed. But do these. Let's Let's not leave out the big ones, the, the real tithe. tithe. Yeah, yeah, the
1: real Yeah. Right. Right. And um, the next verse does get into the Pharisees and the sages. I'm actually going to postpone that for next week. I'll only because I feel like it really ties in better with chapter 6. But I am open to comments if anyone wants to say anything now. Um, but I really feel like the main idea when he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the uh, scribes and Pharisees, I think that that really keys in, in what he's going into chapter 6. But. Um, but if you've any other comments, I'm happy to take them.
4: I don't think this will affect what you're going to say in chapter six. But I really, uh, what one of the things you pointed out in your last last week's class was who Yeshua's audience was mm-hmm. when he was speaking, and, and that really, like, it was like a a, a cog turning in my uh-huh. head to, to see this whole chapter in different light. And and this verse especially, um, like, I saw it like, completely different than I usually did. So he's talking to his his 12 disciples and he's saying to them you must be greater or greater more righteous than the, than the the Pharisees and and to me that wasn't so much as well you know you have to assure your own salvation or anything it was like you are the examples i am directly teaching you when i'm gone you are all that's left and you have mm-hmm. to be more righteous than the Pharisees so that when people come and 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 and, and learn uh, of me through you they see that we're not doing away with with the old, mm-hmm. And in fact, mm-hmm. are right, only absolutely.
2: reinforcing
0: it, raising exactly. the bar
2: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just at the literal level, because you're going to go deeper. I'm sure. But the, the righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. First of all, scribes and Pharisees are not necessarily one of the same group. And that's, right. That's where many people get confused. Uh, <laughs> well, they get confused because they think it's a, they think that's a unit. And uh, there were scribes who were Pharisees, but the scribes are usually described as. Distinct from the Pharisees, mm-hmm. here. but it says your your righteousness. And if we translate this to modern Orthodox Hebrew, it's your tzedakah. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Now it's charity. It's not deeds, nah, but it's charity. it's charity. And if you consider not to not to not to impugn mm-hmm. any Pharisees at all, but if you consider some of the focuses of uh, uh, the disciples. Remember, he's telling them you need to exceed the righteous of the scribes and the Pharisees. We've keyed on scribes and Pharisees as somehow being low bar or something. You got to be better than that, you know. But maybe, maybe it was that he is he was he is motivating them. But think about his disciples; they're generally poor people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: One was a this one right here is a former tax collector. <laughs> right. I don't know if he is generous or not. Right. Maybe he needs to be. Right. Uh, what about what about Paul, uh, Peter, uh, P, uh, Peter and uh, Andrew? Peter and Andrew. Think about that for just a moment. What's the dramatic change after the resurrection? They're walking through the, by the Bethesda pool, and they see a poor man. And he says, oh, yeah. "Money and gold, I don't have any of. However, what I do have, think of Judas. We could have done such and such with that money. I mean, these are not people who are." At least the Gospels don't describe them as being generous. Mm. So, in, well, me, in my mind, he's, he's motivating them. Mm-hmm. Actually, I don't think they're generous either. Mm. I think he's motivating them mm. to have this standard of being charitable. Huh.
4: That's And the standard
2: being and the standard being given is not necessarily a low standard or a fake standard. It's being a good standard. Mm. What is what is the you know the principle? S-L, uh, the principal um, display of righteousness to a Pharisee and even today, what is it? It's a
1: Good point. That's, I really like that. That's a good one. Um, yeah, I hope it didn't mess up. No, it was. doesn't. That's a very different from what I was thinking. So um, now I, I'll have to think about you know, A and B options here. But that was, that was good. And I, I like that because it fits in. The rest of chapter 5, basically, is very focused on interpersonal relationships. We talked about last week, the primary sin of this generation was um, baseless baseless hatred. It was a lack of love between fellow Jews. They weren't treating each other well. So when you get into the rest of this uh, chapter, keep that in mind, because a lot of times there's going to be a tendency to maybe lose sight of that. And again, think about Yeshua coming up with some little bite-sized pieces of how his law is more important than the old one. But in reality, what he's really getting at is he's trying to hammer in you guys need to be thinking about your relationships with the other people around you. That is what the Torah was getting at all along, and you're missing it. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir.
0: Uh, you, you, you seem to be moving to 21, and I just want to yeah, make yeah. sure we're, we're clear that in, in 19, uh, for those that may be listening to us, we are listening to you later on, uh, for those who who may misunderstand why we desire to be obedient to the Torah, to God, to mm-hmm. the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's certainly, and we I know we're all tired of saying <laughs> this, but we, we are certainly not keeping the commandments in order to have a place in the world to come. Correct. And I think it's, you know even here, the master is making it clear that if you just disregard some of his commands and then you even teach others to do the same it does not affect your place in the world to come according to what he says it's just where you, where you less, are just <laughs> less furniture in. You. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's <laughs> what, what you do where you are in the world Sleep to come the is, <laughs> is the issue <laughs> right. and, and I think it, it's, he's just speaking you know, clearly of reward. Right, There's There's already a relationship but your reward will be less. Definitely true. And as long as anyone listening from afar, especially in Gastonia where they might be a little confused, I just want to make sure that they hear us clearly articulate. We keep the commandments of God because he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Right. And it's only because we already love him. Right. And we only love him, he said, because he, because he loved us first. Right. You know, so there, that relationship is already there. The, the salvific work, right. you know, if we go back to the Presbyterian mindset, is, is already past. This is how we act because we have that relationship right. with God. Exactly. And I, I find it very heartwarming. That the master, even then, stepped up to that. Go ahead, Greg.
3: Greg,
2: I think I think I think it's it may be both, but it probably is more likely that it's speaking of the um, the Messianic age. I agree. Right. Okay. But it could be it could be both.
3: I'm not saying it's not, but I agree. I think when I think about this, and, and I think he's really, I think it's probably more
5: referring to the
0: kingdom, the, the messianic right. kingdom on this planet, and he is ruling for his. Right. Mm-hmm. I think based on his, uh, if I could, uh, just based on his other comments about the father, and you know the father knows the son doesn't know, perhaps yet. Um, clearly, if he's if he's making claims about what will happen, then one would assume it's going to be when he's the one in charge uh, during that messianic age.
2: It, see, it seems to be talking about reward and punishment. Which, if it's speaking of reward, not not reward and punishment, but reward. If it's speaking of reward, then we would, as Pierkei vote and Actually, yeah. many places in Scripture talk about the world to come. This world is the antechamber, the lobby, mm-hmm. for the world to come. We prepare here for the world to come, so it implies that it is something, maybe reward, and that's why I said it could be both. But the notion of the kingdom of heaven is 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 well,
0: he, uh, he says it's it's among you. The kingdom that's of heaven right. The word
2: heaven is what throws people off. They think that's the domain of God, and what they don't understand is kingdom of heaven, heaven is God. So it's God's kingdom. So where is he king? He's king everywhere but in particular in the Messianic Messianic age. Yeah.
0: When he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand yeah. he's Messianic speaking directly game. of the Messianic yeah. age. So that's if why I think it would have made
2: both but the focus I think is is the Messianic yeah. age. Yeah. He's gonna, they're going to rule on twelve thrones. That's what he says, right?
4: He also in his parables he says the kingdom of heaven is like X. That's right. You Obviously he yeah. would know Mm.
1: what it was like yeah. that's an
0: interesting it's good. point, it's good.
1: Good point. Um, so we're going to keep moving here in uh, the next section this is where we get into the you have heard it said and I, I really love this because as you're going to see as we go through these you have heard it said but I say to you people think that's a new teaching actually really Yeshua is basically just paraphrasing another part of the Torah in saying but I say to you because the first one he starts off with is you shall not murder and then he says I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to judgment. In other words, he contrasts murder with anger or, or, or insults. Them. Or insult. Or It parallels them, rather. Excuse me. Yeah, he's not contrasting them. He's saying this murder and hating your brother in your heart are, both are the same thing. They both result in judgment. Now, that sounds shocking, and it is supposed to be somewhat shocking, but the Torah already told us this. Well, someone look at Leviticus 19.17. And also Zechariah eight sixteen through
0: 17. Joshua, while you're writing that, I, I noticed um, in, in my prep for class, I read it in the English Standard Version, I guess for the first time. Because this version says, you have heard that it was said to those of old. <laughs> Mine
4: says the ancients.
0: Yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, you know? I mean, it just, it really puts it back into, I think, into the Torah, you know.
2: I have Leviticus. Okay. go. Leviticus 19:17. 17. Yes, sir. Uh, you shall not hate your fellow countrymen in your heart. You may surely reprove, you may surely reprove your neighbor, but shall not incur sin because of him. You sh- uh, Was
1: that it? Or is it um, so we see there specifically in the Torah explicit, you shall not hate your neighbor in your heart. In fact, Judaism has an interesting teaching about the uh, um, brothers of Joseph they actually say that um, in an effort to try to explain why they mistreated Joseph so badly, they argue that the brothers of Joseph, part of it was a uh, misunderstanding of their religious duty because they saw Joseph as a threat, uh, spiritually speaking, because of his position and kind of undermining the unity of the family, so to speak, and so according to tradition, uh, when it says they could not speak peaceably to him, they actually say that was not a bad thing. In other words, you hate your brother in your heart, so they were they were just Yeah. Well, in this case they just yeah, they basically they, they they made it obvious they didn't like him and that was the end it's of it. Stumper's mother. Yeah. you can't yeah. say something nice, don't say nothing
2: at, at all. Nothing at all.
1: But at the same time the idea being though that like they weren't they weren't duplicitous, I guess is the other other side of that. So like hating your brother in your heart and not encouraging people being like
0: So they were rude. they weren't hypocr- uh, hypocritical. Uh, hypocritical,
1: right? hypocritical. so, but the point though is that you shouldn't hate your brother in your heart. It's like, that's not an excuse to be like, well, I'll just be mean to everybody. That's cool. But no, instead, we're going to see here that because Yeshua... not like that one at no, all. he doesn't like that at all. <laughs> Yeshua here really hits on this issue of of how you treat your neighbor. Um, and hating in your heart is just part of that. But Johnny, you got the next one? Is that correct?
5: I do. Uh, but to tack on to the end of that, um, it also reminds me of the first chapter of Isaiah, where it says, if you have something against your brother in your heart, then... I don't want your sacrifices because mm. they will be a stench to me. It's mm. like a man who yeah, just going to get to that one in a minute. Yeah, it's like the guy who just abused his wife, trying to bring you know, verbally or physically or something like that, bringing home flowers to try to say I'm sorry. I mean that's like a slap in the face. Right. Similarly, it's like it's a stench to Hashem to bring our offerings whenever we haven't cleared things up with one another beforehand. Right. So, I mean that's I mean it says that. Um, Zechariah eight, 8 sixteen through 17. seventeen. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another, render in your gates judgments that are true, and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares Hashem.
1: So again we get the same language again, you get that do devise not evil in your heart against another. So when Yeshua is keying in here that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be subject to judgment. He's not coming at something new. He's taking other concepts in the Torah and saying, you may have thought, because it wasn't murder, that it's not a big deal. But don't forget, I've already told you, these other places, this is a big deal. In fact, as we will find out from from the sages, that baseless hatred was the cause of the destruction of the temple, not idolatry. It was hatred of your fellow brother in your heart. So when Yeshua compares it to murder, He's not being hyper- hyperbolic. He's, he's saying it really is the same concept before Hashem, but he's not also not doing something new. He's simply explaining this verse is equal to this verse. Mm. Um, and then the next one, this is really interesting. He then gets on to insults. And unfortunately, I feel like, I don't know about you, I feel like for myself, I've read this passage dozens of times, and I almost always look over this passage Because it says, whoever says to his brother, "raka" shall be subject to the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be subject to fiery Gehenna. Well, I try very carefully most of the time not to say, call him a fool, just because that's a little strong. But at the same time, I think he's really getting at insults here. He's trying to use raka. Right, well, I know. (laughs) But I think he's getting at insults here, verbal insults, because we might think, well, I can hate my brother in my heart, so I'll just wear it all on my sleeve. (laughs) To call people idiots, saying nasty things to people, that's not okay either. And Yeshua's point here is actually interesting because it ties in from a midrash. And we're going to delve in just a little bit. We've got a couple of references to the midrash here. And um, this particular one uh, actually is a reference to something that Moshe does. Um, And we're going to talk how awesome and amazing Moshe is in a second. But this one's one where Moshe made a little bit of a mistake here. In the midrash for Parashat Hukat, um, it's the context this is when Moshe is getting ready to strike the rock we should talk to it and the people are complaining about lack of water and Moshe kind of gets up, kind of loses it with the people, he gets upset with them and he says um, hear now you rebels is the, is the one translation it's from Numbers uh, 20 verse 10 now the word rebels is Hamarim and according to the Midrash Rabbah Hamarim bears many interpretations it may mean rebels it may mean fools for in the seaport towns they call fools Morim mm. Which is interesting because if you think about it, this passage, Yeshua says, if you call someone a fool, you are at risk of Ihenom. Obviously we're not saying that's where Moshe is but God forbid. But interestingly enough, it's this passage when Moshe strikes the rock that God uses to say you can't go in to the land. So when Yeshua is playing off of this idea of be careful what you say to your neighbor, he means it very seriously. And I think, unfortunately, we, get, we lose sight of that. Sometimes we look at this passage and we think, well, I don't hate my brother in my heart. I'm all good. But in fact, what he's also getting at is if you verbally abuse your, your, your people around you, even people who you love, maybe just being um, not playful, but, you know, it's not intended to be hateful. You just call someone an idiot because you can't believe that they did that on the road or whatever. That is a very dangerous thing. These words have power, and God will judge them. So we really got keep to that, keep that in mind. Yes, sir? Someone else who says a lot
4: about what you say and, and fools in general is Solomon. Hmm. Proverbs is covered in him saying how don't say, don't say this, don't say that. Lying lips is an abomination to the righteous, but a fool has a babbling tongue or what have you. He just goes on and on. He apparently doesn't have a problem using the word fool, but... Um, <laughs> Since so, okay, he's, he's not directing at right. anybody I guess it's okay right. which is right. why he's not an individual, it's a category Exactly. Right. Yeah. right. And, well, that's why he's the wisest man same deal <laughs> right. exactly. right. 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 and don't right. forget so the Psalms the fool has said in his heart there is no God Right. so I think your point that God is very serious about what we say and, and, and how we, we say it,
1: it is, is
4: brought out by the
1: fact that, that Solomon mentions it so many times in mm. mm-hmm. yeah absolutely it's a big deal and uh, I think we do well to think about it um, Next one there's up here. There's a couple other oh. uh, rabbinic uh,
3: sources that also line up with this. There's a, there's a commentary, uh, uh, it's another sort of Joshua uh, commentary from the Derek Graves Rabbah. And uh, there's a passage in there, chapter 11, that says, Whoever
0: Mm
5: right, right. yeah ha
1: Time in three days. I've heard that same tale. (laughs) Yeah, uh, shaming your brother is is again also as you're saying, Mr. is compared to murder in the by the sages, and we get that. So again, we get that element here. You get that lashon Harad evil speech, is an enormous deal, and throughout the scriptures, it's treated very seriously. And Yeshua wants to make sure, almost from the get go, that he hits that one. Um, The next one that he gets into uh, is also about relationships and he talks about if you're presenting your offering upon the altar and whether your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. And um, it's interesting that when he does that reference, um, he's again not coming to with anything new. In the Torah it specifically says if you hurt your brother and you have to bring a sin offering for that, you go make restitution first. You fix it with them, then you come to God. So it's not, again, it's not a new concept, but it's, it's, it's expanding its application. He's trying to say it's not just if you steal from your brother, you have to make restitution. But there's a problem between you two. You've got to fix it before you go to God. Well, is and it? it's
4: also somewhat the inverse of that because the, the, at least the phrasing I have here is if he has something against you. Right. Sorry. Right. No, that's what it is. You have to go fix yeah, that too.
0: Yeah. Like, oh, yeah wait, just normally backwards from what we're I mean, Am I
4: brought my brother's keeper now? Like do I have to go fix problems that he caused? Like, you know, you, me growing up and you have siblings, it's like, you know, do I really have to fix the problem if my brother caused it? And the answer is yes. Well, that's I mean that's like
0: the alural tradition of, that's, that's exactly uh, what he was asking
2: for forgiveness as opposed to, you know, telling somebody they wrong <laughs> by the way you did this. We need to make it
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I mean, the whole month of Elul, we are encouraged by the sages of blessed memory to do this very thing, yeah. and and to go out of our way to ask everybody if we're good to go. And uh, I've been I've been trying to do it with folks that are not even Torah humans. and it's I would say it's awkward. But it is a. Uh, it's, so, it's so countercultural. It is, and it really starts but a it, great conversation. It, it makes an
2: impact. That it, does. it does. I had a boss from five years ago. I saw this week, and I've seen him off and on, but no big deal. And he goes, "By the way, is this is this the time?" No, right? Look. And I go yeah. It. And he goes, "Have I done anything to offend you?"
5: Really? That is cool, cool team. Wow. That's super that's cool. Five years ago. That um he made a really good impression on yeah, me. Must have or something. A, or, or a bad impression. impression. <laughs> bad <laughs> impression. He was, I can't believe <laughs> guy does that. He asks if I ever did anything. That's <laughs>
0: all he ever
2: does is things that offend me. It's not important you ever remember. That's that's uh, the um, He was asking for me asking for me to ask that. <laughs> yeah.
3: Okay. So, okay. so <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Um Along the same lines, we're talking about offerings. The next verse says, make friends quickly with your opponent while you're with them on the way. And it's interesting, this idea of resolving arguments and debates and offerings actually go hand in hand in the Midrash. In the Midrash, um, it says Moses goes, this is Parashat Korach. Uh, The Midrash Rabbah says that Moses goes to Dayton and Abiram. And Resh Lakish said, from this it may be inferred that one should not persist in a quarrel. Rob said, anyone who persists in a quarrel transgresses the commandment that he be not as Korach and as his company. But the point, the point that they're getting at is that Moshe, and they say elsewhere in the Midrash, he humbles himself. He goes to his opponents right. to make it right. He, they should be coming to him. But he personally, as the leader of the community, goes to them to try to fix it. Interestingly enough, when they spit in his face, one of his, I believe it's that, that particular uh, group, um, is Moses goes to God and says, do not accept their offerings. Which kind of sounds like what Yeshua is saying right here. Yeah. Yeah. Keeping it moving here. Um, the what next... One. One, um, Go ahead. One, 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 one.
3: There's, there's a, a reference in the Mishnah tract, uh, in 8 9, that talks about uh, God will forgive sins committed against him, but will not forgive sins Right, which is the Yom yep. Kippur mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. This, uh, sort of kind of similar, similar
1: Absolutely. Similar.
4: This also sounds like Yeshua's parable about the man who wouldn't, who was forgiven by the king, but would not forget
1: the man who was yeah, yeah, pretty pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah, and that's also in uh, Jewish teaching as well. We're going to get into that one um, later on. What was that one? Uh, forgiveness. Yeah, Maybe, so, if you don't forgive your neighbor, yes. God the if you don't forgive your neighbor, then God won't forgive you. Um. So, yeah,
4: the parable was the king forgave a man his debt, but he did not he forgive the, a massive debt. But he did not forgive a, a smaller debt oh, of, sure, of sure. Sure. one of his neighbors or servants. Or sure. Sure.
2: Immediately so. after being forgiven. Obviously. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. Yikes.
5: So the next seven, one we're not the seven times the seven times seventy one. No, no, uh, not well, so. It's, yeah, it's, it's different. different. One.
1: The next we're getting into is in um, is the issue of divorce. Yeshua makes a point of saying um, not to commit adultery, and then he's going to delve into a little bit deeper there. Uh, He's also got, actually I think the divorce uh, statement is actually later. So the next one is adultery. He actually comments pretty, um, again, severely, harshly here, when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, if you know Judaism, you know we do not encourage bodily mutilation. So only one part of the body we cut off, and everything else is supposed to stay there. <laughs> we only cut it off once, right? And not all of it, <laughs> right?
2: So, yes. So the point, <laughs> the point being, and shy. we don't do <laughs> it. It's <eventually. laughs> Right. All of these things.
1: So the, the point is, though, that like when Yeshua says this, he's being dramatic. He's being um, excessive on purpose because he's making a point. And actually, um, I was speaking with uh, with Juliana about this 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 idea, and she had a really good point in saying that. If you look at the whole passage, he says it's better for you that you'd enter the world to come, or enter the kingdom of heaven, rather, um, lame or blind, rather than that you would um, not make it at all, right? You'd sin just destroy you. And so um, Juliana's point was to say that the, the, um, it's not so much focusing on what you do to cut something off. It's more like the emphasis. This is how bad sin is. This is how serious it is. And the Midrash gets on that point as well. Um, over in Midrash, let me see if I can find it. There we go. Uh, Balak, we see this word show up, sort of. Um, it says, Balak saw in Numbers chapter 22, verse 2. And uh, the sages go off, there's like 19 different reasons why Balak, Balak saw, what Balak saw, etc. But then this one particular comment is really interesting. And Balak saw, this is Midrash Rabbah for uh, Parshat Balak. It would have been better for the wicked. If they have been blind For their eyes bring evil on the world In regard to the generation of the flood It is written The sons of God saw Genesis 6 verse 2 It is also written And Ham, the father of Canaan Saw Genesis 9 verse 22 That being a reference to when he saw Noah In the tent uncovered Um, And again it is written And the princes of Pharaoh saw her Genesis 12 verse 15 Referencing when they came and took Sarah um, For Pharaoh and then Pharaoh's family got sick it is the same with all the other cases. It is the same here, and Balak saw. The point being that the seeing caused massive problems, huge problems. So I really think that that's kind of what Yeshua is getting at. It's like stop the you know stop don't look. And then on top of that, this is how serious this is. You might think I'm just looking. It's the peak. I've actually had someone tell me that you know not they weren't a believer, it's an agnostic, but they're like you know it's like I'm not touching. I'm just looking. It's like, no. It. Oh. Not okay. In fact, interestingly enough, Yeshua says if you lust after a woman, it's like you've committed adultery. Again, not new. Esla Yasharem. I'm just do M-Y for short. Esalat Yasharem, uh, Ramkal, when he talks about the issue of lust, he actually brings it down to if you lust after a woman's pinky finger, you've sinned. So, Yeshua is not, he's not, he is radical in the sense that he is pushing the understanding of what we know from the scriptures, but he's not changing it. He is arguing the same thing that Judaism is teaching that Mm -hmm. our standards need to be higher. And not just because it's a good thing to do, because it's serious business. When you make mistakes in this area, it damages you really badly. More so than if you plucked your own eye out and cut off your own hand. Um, The next reference continuing along here, is divorce. And this is the one I was going to get into next. Um, in divorce, this is one that... Oh my goodness, it just gets really confused. And this is one of those references where people start to think that Yeshua is really making it up as he goes along. Because he says, you've heard it said um, about divorce, give her a certificate of divorce, but I say to you. And actually, in the Torah, it does talk about giving a certificate of divorce. So it's like, well, what does this mean? Um, for more information on when divorce is appropriate and when not, cue into a previous lesson from I think last year, two years ago all about divorce and there's a lot on that uh, from the Men of Torah website but Deuteronomy 24 which talks about the certificate of divorce actually says exactly what Yeshua says uh, Deuteronomy 24 verse 1 I got it Go
4: ahead when a man takes a wife and marries her And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes Because he has found some indecency in her And he writes her a certificate of divorce And puts it in her hand And sends her out from his house
1: Right, so that's the process And um, In that time period and Actually, Hillel is famous for the If she burns the toast Because <laughs> the, the definition of Find some indecency in her What does that mean? What does that look like? What are we talking about? it's not really clear from the text exactly what it's saying. Now, if you cross-reference that to other passages where people get in trouble for, like, he finds out that she's not a virgin, and then, you know, the whole mess of he has to prove it, and if it's not true, then he's in big trouble, and if it is true, she's in big trouble, you know, that deal. Um, That kind of gives you a better hint as to what that indecency is. And so Yeshua just comes out, and he squares it away. It's immorality, period. If she commits adultery, that's the only excuse you have of divorcing your wife. Forget Anything the, else?
0: Forget the toast.
1: Yeah, forget the toast. Toast not good enough. Anything else is an excuse. And if you divorce your wife for that reason and you marry somebody else, you're committing adultery because you're still married in the eyes of God. And if you divorce her, because in that time period women were not particularly um, handled or uh, taken care of by society, like they were, they had to be cared for. It was not as uh, egalitarian as we are today, um, you've basically forced her to commit adultery. She's stuck. She needs somebody to provide for her. So if you divorce her for burning the toast, you've irreparably harmed her, and you've basically condemned yourself to being single. So (laughs) Yeshua's point is like, there's only one reason why divorce is okay. In fact, we'll find later in the scriptures that Yeshua goes so far as to say that this was really only because humanity is evil that we even allow that really it's not a good thing that idea is actually also expressed in Judaism, they say that there are certain things that God tells us we're allowed to do um, is almost like a, not a concession but it's like God realizes that we're sinful people, we live in a sinful world and so this is not the ideal per se, but it is permissible and that's basically what we've got here, yes sir well, I mean the, the, to be fair to Hillel,
2: hmm. that I mean, it, it was Hillel's teaching that said if she burns the toes. But to be fair to him, that was not the issue. Um, it was it was it was a kiva that made it a really big deal and you know basically made it and, and it apparently in a response to what he thought followers of Messiah's emphasis on marriage. So it's almost as if he was like <laughs> sticking him in the eye using Halel, but in Hillel, it's it's really not fair to say. Because he was using it as he was using it as a an extreme, whereas Kiva used it for much more nefarious reasons. Even mm. no, though mm-hmm. he was personally not divorced, but the whole idea was, and he wasn't making allowance for it, but he was using it as a as a
1: literary jab at mm. believers. Now how ironic that the believers at the time were actually uh, noteworthy because of their higher standards. They, they did. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Wouldn't that be the, if only that were the case today? Um, Yeshua then, speaking so we're talking about making vows with marriage, Yeshua then talks about making vows and points out that a lot of vows are really totally unnecessary, not good to do. Um, And you might think to yourself, wait, wait, wait. I know the Torah. I've read the Torah. It specifically says when you make a vow, you have to fulfill it. When you make a vow about this, if your wife makes a vow, you can annul it that day, but if you don't, it's stuck on her and so on and so forth. Vows are allowed. Yeshua is overstepping the bounds. No, he's not. And in fact, Judaism itself, and we see in Ecclesiastes, um, Solomon says, really not a good idea to make vows. You get yourself into extra problems, you create new rules for yourself. What are you doing? Don't do that. But um, the Midrash Rabbah actually goes off on vows. I mean, in in Parshat Matot, uh, it's almost shocking their perspective on this one because when they go into... The issue of vows They make the standard For being able to make one Almost impossible Here's what they say And Moses spoke unto the heads of the tribes When a man boweth a bow unto the Lord This is from Numbers 30 verse 2 This is the actual Torah reference That we were talking about a second ago um, This is what the Midrash says Hence it is written And wilt swear as the Lord liveth in truth In justice and in righteousness The Holy One, blessed is he, said to Israel, Do not imagine that you are permitted to swear by my name, even in truth. You are not allowed to swear by my name unless you possess all the following attributes. And list them out. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. This is compared to Abraham, Job, and Joseph. High standards here. The next one is, Him shalt thou serve. And the last one uh, is, to him shalt thou cleave. And then the, the, the Midrash goes on to say, uh, if you possess all these attributes, you are permitted to swear. But if you are not, if, if not, you are not permitted to swear. A story is told of King Janai, Yenai, who owned two thousand towns, and they were all destroyed on account of true oaths. How a man would say to his friend, "On my oath, I shall go and eat such and such a food at such and such a place, and I shall drink such and such a drink at such and such a place." They would go and fulfill their oath, and would be destroyed. If this is the fate of those who swear in truth. How much more so of one who swears to a falsehood? Ouch. The point being, and actually, if you see in the in the in the mid, in the uh, commentary on um, "Do not take your name of your Lord your God in vain," they actually focus specifically on oaths, and it's not just breaking an oath; it's making an oath that's unnecessary. It's making an oath that you shouldn't. It's like I, I swear by da, 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 that this table is made of wood. It's like who cares? And the the, the sages teach that making an oath that's not necessary is taking God's name in vain. You're just throwing it around to make a point. And that's exactly what Yeshua is saying here. He's saying, don't swear by heaven. That's where God is. Don't swear by earth. That's his footstool. You don't even have the right to your own hairs on your own head because those are given to you by God too. And then interestingly enough, he follows up by saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And I'm going to be honest, I had trouble finding a good reference for this, but there was one place that I found that said that um, there's a reference to bot kohls saying yes, yes, and no, no. In other words, you only follow a bot Cole if it repeats itself. So a yes, yes, or a no, no was the example of the gate, which I thought was really interesting. Um, um,
0: oh, I'm just, sorry, I got... Hang one second, just for those who are listening, bot Cole, voice from heaven.
1: Yeah, right. So if you're hearing, like, a, people say, God spoke to me, quote-unquote, the, the argument was, don't listen to it unless it's repeating itself, which I thought was interesting. But that goes again back to Yeshua's point, that your yes be yes, let your no be no, that should be enough. You don't need to make a vow. You should stick to what you say. Judaism, by the way, totally bought and ran with this one. Because when it comes to vows, extremely careful. You will hear regularly um, Jews say the phrase, Bli nedir, which literally means without an oath. Because if you say, I will do this, that's basically making a vow in Judaism. Well, it's you like s- we would say God willing. Or, yeah. Right, we so right. say that. Um, the yeah. same concept. Uh, you also hear this Rav in right? God's strength. As well, to run around because I'm—I I don't want to make it sound like I'm promising to do this, because we take that very seriously, and that's what Yeshua is getting at. He says, take it seriously, and really, if you're a man of integrity, you should only have to say yes. Yep, that's what I was going to say.
5: Oh, I'm sorry, sir. No, it's fine.
2: You can say, Kim.
1: yeah.
5: And the uh, James four references how it, it, it basically ends up. Sounding like boasting and being arrogant when right. you claim to, that you're going to do something when you actually have no idea whether or not you're going to survive until then, and so everything should be Lord willing. All such other boasting is evil, which is again back to Yeshua's reference that it is evil. Right vows that are that don't are fulfilled. Maybe you should just pay your vow immediately. <laughs> that is another option. Make a vow
2: and pay it immediately or say it while you're doing it. <laughs> but
1: the sage's point in the vow making thing is to say that God allows for vows, but he doesn't ever require them. So it's like don't make vows you don't need to make. It's like the inverse of the the divorce thing It's
4: permissible and it's not like it's bad because it's the opposite of that. You know, it's, it's you can make vows, but why would you want to? It's like just be careful with that
2: one. Well, per, perhaps, but you know, I have a I have a tendency to think that vows are comparable to sacrifices. Hmm. And as such we, we are told the serious danger of sacrifices everything has to be handled correctly, done correctly um, and in the midst of offering it you can die because mm. you're know, mm. you messed up yeah.
3: mm-hmm.
2: so to me it, it would be comparable to sacrifices to, so to say you know, vows are just taken off the table, God permits it God doesn't just permit sacrifices, he commands them, and mm. we do see a See places in the Torah that seem to command vows, make make your vows, but the most important part of it is fulfilling your vows. Right. So, the tendency that I see here is Yeshua is addressing the people who make vows but don't fulfill them. Right. Or who make them about needless things. Or that's right. Well, I mean, yeah, same same idea. In other words, it's frivolous. they've right. treated it frivolously. So the offerings are not frivolous. Right. Same way. Right. Vows are a vows are a, a, a very high
1: standard and very weighty. Right, that's a good point. Yeah, no. And David, uh, David references vows multiple times in the Psalms, so it's not wrong to do them. I don't want to imply that at all. Just simply to say that I think I remember there was a song when I was back in church, way right back in the day. This is my vow. You know, we're going to throw. It's like I just want to. I want to vow. I'm going to serve God for the rest of my life. Right. You know, it's right. like. You know, that's a really hard one to keep. You might not want to make that one. You know, it's like, just to say that, um, and the sages teach that, like, a vow can be useful sometimes, but at the same time, it's like, why add a potential sin to yourself if you don't keep it? Just, just think twice about it. Yes, sir, you and you.
4: Well, it's, it's like what we was saying, is that maybe we don't treat it as seriously as mm-hmm, we should. Mm-hmm, right. Um, make that vow, but understand what you're, you're getting yourself into. Right.
2: Vows are about faith. Yeah. And, that's, and that's why that's why I, I I'm a little hesitant to you know cast it all off and just say well we're not doing that anymore um, because they're they are about faith and, and although some might see Jephthah's vow as a foolish vow but his vow was its its purpose was to strengthen his faith
3: right? mm-hmm.
2: to go do what God told him to do so and the result was God answered his vow. With success, True. which was God's purpose, True. and regardless who who reads it or not or misinterprets it, to me his vow was valid even afterwards. I think it was an excellent vow, um, and and it was it was absolutely faithful, and resulted in the redemption of that age that age and that generation.
1: Sure. Mm.
5: Yes, sir. Well, just to, to your
1: point about how they
5: relate to sacrifices and how there's a lot of rules regarding how you do a sacrifice, there's an entire track date of That's the Talmud right. dedicated to vows, vows, which is the current DOF right now. So it's it the is. same
0: concept. Yeah. There's
5: lots and lots of discussion and holocaust surrounding how you would go about making a vow and fulfilling it,
2: And in the same vein would say, if you don't have to,
3: don't.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. right. I mean, not yeah.
3: compelled. And there was, this is the point. Right. Not have uh, to. Not I compelled. Think, uh, just jump in a couple blocks and he, When Yeshua, you know, when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. uh, Essentially, he's saying, he's saying,
1: that, that is a vow. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it carries weight. The thing about it is to say,
3: when you say yes to something, that is a vow, and it ought to be good enough, and if you say no to something, that is also a vow, and that I'll be good enough, and there's no need to, you know...
1: It yeah, in Judaism. Thousands thousands. By adding What's to it, we diminish its value. There's a couple of, there's a couple of uh, rabbinic
3: sources that support that notion. Tama tracted Shavuot, 36a, says, uh, Rabbi and the said, no is an oath, and yes is an oath. <laughs> and then Ruth Rabbah, this is Midrash, what I want in the name of Rabbi Sh- 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 ben Yitzhak, the yes of the righteous is a yes and the no of the righteous is no that's close cool. so, this idea that if if, 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 uh, if somebody asks me a question or asks me to do something and I say yes I've made a vow and as a righteous person I should stand behind my I guess. agree if my response is no, it, it that is also, in essence, a vow, and I should also stand behind that as a righteous person and hopefully somebody with integrity.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. It's a very good point. Um, thank you. Thank you for that one. We, uh, we're getting towards the very end here. I know we're, we're kind of running up to the end of class. Don't want to keep everyone too late. Um, but we're almost at the very end of five, and I just kind of want to... Um, touch on a couple of quick issues on this one Um, the eye for eye tooth for tooth reference oftentimes gets misinterpreted as yeshua saying that the uh basically undoing the torah's judicial structure um, penalty structure uh and somehow makes it sound very barbaric um judaism first off when i talk about eye for eye and tooth for tooth it's always understood that the concept of damages it's 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 the idea that they have caps on your damages that you can't if you knock out somebody's tooth that's worth x number of shekels you can't throw in well but i also have emotional pain and that's another you know triple times the damages um in in modern times actually probably a big problem with our health costs is because we don't have caps on damages things get way out of proportion and judaism is specifically structured so that it's, it's 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 got a set amount for each thing so an eye for an eye means not that you poke out somebody's eye prefer poking out your eye but that you get the equivalent of an I in value back to you. Measure for measure. Measure for measure.
4: Um,
1: And so when Yeshua responds by saying, do not resist an evildoer. Whoever slaps you in your right cheek, turn to the other also. Um, I really liked uh, Mr. Upham's comment uh, from a number of Shabbats ago that linked this to the idea of insults. Um, Unfortunately, uh, certain parts of um, Christianity who are particularly pacifist have taken this reference to say that you should never defend yourself, and you shouldn't even some some even extreme to the point you shouldn't even defend your family. Some guy is breaking into your home and you know stealing your things and I killing your kids. You just stand there and watch and beg them you know and try to say Jesus' name over and over again and hope they stop. That's not what <laughs> Yeshua was getting at here. Defending yourself and defending your family, even by military means, is part of the Torah. It's cool. totally okay to fight back. So um, commanded. and yeah in fact you're you're considered um pretty pathetic if you can't defend your family so now when it comes when we're talking about this though it's more the idea of um taking that measure for measure into your own hands in other words the sense of like it's not even so much um,
0: uh, like a retribution thing.
1: yeah it's but it's but it, again it's it's not as serious as things like murder i mean that's what we think we think, tend to draw the line with that like you know vigilante is somehow equivalent to that but that's really not what she was getting at here I think he's really tying in more what he's, the example he uses whoever slaps you on your right cheek it's, an, it's insult. an insult so somebody insults you and you want to turn around and you want to insult them back What's, and Yeshua says
0: don't that's what Ron Kahl was saying and we, not only we, that you demonstrate your self-control and humility yeah the equanimity when you're you know, blindsided verbally and you just don't respond
2: Right. so for the insult measure for measure We have a legal right to insult back He's saying Don't use the measure for measure for things like that That's foolish
1: Right, Right. you're taking it too far And that goes back to my comment at the beginning of the lesson Is saying that I think that part of what Yeshua is doing Is he is undoing those loopholes He's undoing those errant halakha Decisions by people To say, because you can see the logic in it Well, if you break my leg That's worth X number of shekels If you call me a name That should be worth something too and Yeshua's saying, No, no. You should be more humble than that and not need to Excuse. to get back. Yeah. Um, along those lines, the next couple of references, he says, the one wanting to sue you, take your shirt, let him have your coat. Whoever forces you go to one mile, go with him two. I, I wanna emphasize these are all supposed to be extremes. And, and sorry? Oh. When no, we was get you. that was me. Okay, so when we get into the um, when we we. This is not supposed to be like the small, st- the lower level of the standard, and you should use this and springboard off of it. Like this is like this is when like the Romans who ruled you at the time are mistreating you and forcing you to go a mile with them and carry their pack. Take it two miles. It's like that's kind of the. It's like that's an extreme level. So it doesn't mean necessarily that you know you, you're. um you're going to be you're driving you know, you're driving home to go meet your wife and you're walking past somebody and you're like you see someone carrying a burden it's like well i gotta help them hike it all the way out to rock hill because it would be nice of me to help them across the street but i really want to go the extra mile it's like well okay there think about those um think about where the commandments line up here if you're single maybe that's a good idea <laughs> if you have other responsibilities maybe not and aren't right yeah at
4: <laughs> yeah, so that point it it, it no I was it seems to me that you should just trying to reinforce an attitude rather than set a standard. You should have the attitude of, mm-hmm. I can go, you need help, I will help you. It's right. like, you, when, when you see someone who needs help, your immediate response is, help them. Or, right. you know, perform perform service. You know, just yeah. keeping in mind your responsibilities, but having that attitude. But
1: also, them. I think it also is getting at losing your rights. Because I think when you talk about, like, the going an extra mile, that's, that's under compulsion. It's not just because somebody needs help. And that's the same thing with the suing you, you know, while you take your coat, um, again, also with the slapping you. Yeah. It's like, it's when you start to take yourself not seriously. You start to really realize that God is in charge, and this person who's mistreating you is just a stick in God's hand. So why are you mad at the stick? Hmm. You know, it's like, and that's kind of the idea he's going with. And along these lines, he then follows up by, give to the one who asks of you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is actually straight from the Torah. Um, If you go into our parsha from last week, um, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 through 11, God actually says to do exactly this. Someone read that for me.
2: If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land in which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor close your hand to your poor brother, but you shall freely open your hand to him you generously lend to him Sufficiently for his need, and whatever he lacks, beware. There is no base thought in your heart. That there is no base ho- thought in your heart, saying, "The seventh year, the year of remission is near, and eye is hostile toward your poor brother, and you give him nothing, then he may cry out to the Lord against you, and it will be a sin in you." You shall generously give to him, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him, because this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, command you. Therefore, I command you, saying, "You shall freely open your hand to your brother, in your
1: needy and poor in your land."
0: What's that reference? Fifteen to what?
1: Uh, Deuteronomy 15, 7 through eleven. And the uh, the point again, getting at is, essentially, it talks about lending, but then lending in the context of where a lend a lend, a loan becomes a gift, <laughs> because if the remission comes around, if the the if the seventh year rolls around, those debts are forgiven. So if you lend somebody in the sixth year. They may not be able to repay you. So that loan suddenly is now a, a present. And I, we, but God says, don't let you don't think about that. And we were just talking recently about the idea that uh, Judaism teaches that Rosh Hashanah is when God sets the amount of income you're going to get for the whole year. And charity is part of that. If you are meant to only get X this year and you decide, I don't want to give that poor guy some money who's asking me because I really want to keep it for myself. That doesn't mean that you get to keep that extra on top of what God's uh, planning to give you. He just discounts that some other way. Uh, Interestingly enough, um, earlier we talked about the idea, and Yeshua talks about the idea of settle your disputes, because otherwise the judge will um, make sure you pay every last penny. Which is funny, because Yeshua doesn't say, settle your disputes if you're in the wrong he just says just in general settle your disputes because and he makes he assumes that you're going to be you're going to lose which is a weird assumption because you may not uh, hopefully you would never be in the wrong Mm -hmm. but the idea is that god's in charge and god uses human elements to exact his judgment so same thing here if you're not if you're being stingy god has other ways to take that money from you unfortunately so Mm -hmm. on on the contrast if you're generous then god promises in deuteronomy 15 that he's going to bless you so you're not losing the money God is simply going to find another way to take care of you later. But that's his anyway.
0: Where did we read it? Did we read that in a book somewhere recently, this past year. And And else? That's what you just said. Anybody remember where there was? Was it Peace in the Home? Or Peace it may in the
1: be home? the um, Garden of Emmanuel. Garden.
0: Um, Garden of Emmanuel, maybe that's what it was, yeah. I mean, it's Rabbi Sounds Arush. just like it. Yeah. Rabbi Salmo Arush. Arush.
1: Arush, thank you.
3: People keep so trying to put a
2: tablecloth in this guy. We don't know what this is. <laughs> rabbi. Rabbi. <laughs> rabbi. rabbi Shlomo rush. thank you.
1: Whoops. Rabbi walks in with a tablecloth. Who are you, Shlomo? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so, um, the last one is uh, you shall love. You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And somehow, I would challenge you to find this Bible verse in the Torah. It doesn't exist. There is no love your neighbor and hate your enemy verse. The concepts is you are supposed to, believe it or not,
0: it was definitely love your neighbors. Love your neighbors 19. there.
1: And hating your enemy actually is too. But it's not your enemy. David makes a point throughout the Psalms that he hates the people who hate oh, God. Enemies of
0: God. Yeah. Makes
1: a big deal out of it. Dash your infants against the rock, kind of that's, stuff. I mean, it's pretty serious. So like the when 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 David talks about um, this and when God talks about judging your enemies, don't don't Treat this group of people well because they are not our friends. We get that also, also in the apostolic writings. By the way, uh, uh, John in Second John makes that comment about don't wish them Godspeed, don't don't give them a blessing because they're not with you. Um, this is not what God. She was talking about. Um, he's getting into your personal enemies, your personal vendettas, your personal issues. That's not God's problem. That's your problem, and he's saying you need to deal with it. Yes, sir. As you were mentioning before, a lot of times
2: he seems to be showing the heart of this commandment and closing loopholes that man has opened up, and then this would be one of those ones where, in the same way where it says, "Do not," uh, you know, "Do not." Um, uh, talks about don't go along with the majority, so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the idea is that some of that's turn it around, and so that you should go around with the majority because. And so, says so, so if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, you know, that means I should hate my enemy. <laughs> Do you understand? So right. It, because it's, I mean, it's a very common... Uh, uh,
0: They're antithetical, therefore they must be either. That's right. So, right.
2: It, so there's, it becomes a commandment, It becomes a traditional commandment to hate your enemy because I'm told to love my neighbor. Right. Um, and so if, 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 in fact, that's what, what's happening is he's closing a loophole. It's like, you know, you've, you've heard it said, love your neighbor.
3: Yeah. Some some other some other possible context for that is um, is the Zealots. Uh, yes. According to one commentary, the Zealots uh, sort of adopted this uh, phrase or slogan, right? Of love your neighbor and hate your enemies, with the enemies right. really being an allusion to the Romans. Yeah. Um, and so it could be that Yeshua was. Addressing this kind of populist sentiment that that uh, you know that was there during that time, as a this, you know, this built-up resentment against uh, the Roman occupation. Hmm. But there's also uh, a reference in the, there's a reference in, in some of the uh, some of the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. There's a reference to um, the Rom community where they had a rule, they had, they had a rule that was you may love the Sons of Light and hate all the Sons of Darkness and, and the, the Sons of Light was basically right. anybody that was part of their sect <laughs> and any, any Jew that was part of their particular sect and Sons of Darkness was, was basically everybody else Jew or Gentile that was not that was outside of their, Sounds like the their bad. community so <laughs> So, you had a couple of different groups that had some ideas that, you know, that have this love, you know, love one group and hate another group type of concept. And it could be that Yeshua is setting, you know, kind of setting the record straight on on the proper, you know, the proper way to handle that.
1: Absolutely. And I think. And, and again, going back to what does the Torah say? Yeshua is simply expand, not expanding, he is clarifying the, Yeshua, the Torah's point. Someone can pull up Exodus 23, verses 4-5. through 5. I think this one really uh, hits home on what Yeshua's getting at.
5: What verses?
1: 23, verses 4-5. through
5: 5. Got it. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. You see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden...
1: You shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. In other words, earlier in the in the um, throughout the, the Torah, it talks or, or it has another commandment in the Torah talking about helping someone whose ox is stuck in a ditch or whatever. You know the idea of um, take care of someone who needs help. And this particular portion says that extends to your enemy. So what Yeshua is basically doing here is he's taking this concept that you take care of your enemy, even your enemy when they're when they're having problems. He simply, he simply clarifies it's not just the random chance you happen to run into his donkey stuck in a ditch or under a burden. There are other applications to this point. The spirit, the heart of this mitzvah, of loving, your, of loving your enemy, is loving your enemy. Like actually praying for them, taking care of them, being kind to them, treating them the way that God treats you. You don't always deserve, but God treats everyone with the same care anyway. And that's basically Yeshua's argument. He's taking this passage in the Torah, the Torah, and he's simply applying it to love your neighbor. So he's not contradicting, as we've been saying repeatedly. He is amplifying, but he's he's illuminating, but he's actually using other concepts within the Torah to illuminate the Torah and to make it a little bit more, uh, to explain it a little bit more in detail. But it's not new. Amen. A similar
3: idea... Um, is found in Proverbs twenty four seventeen, 17 where it says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls, yes, and yeah. yes. do not let like, your heart be glad when you stumble so it's the idea of okay, yes, he's your enemy, but you still shouldn't be wishing ill upon him uh, so it's, it's in that same, same sort of thing
5: yeah. I was just going to say that the whole idea like, sometimes We've, we've talked about maybe the, um, the feeling of being indignant whenever we see some, some poor person asking for money and stuff mm-hmm. like that well, why don't you just go out and get a job or, or whatever like that this is all, it, and, and we, we've talked about how that actually en- forces us to look at ourselves and how that is actually an opportunity for us to um, work on a particular char- aspect of our own character this is just the exact same. It's just a different aspect of our character.
0: Mm-hmm. Really the whole chapter. Is...
1: Right. And, and, and as Yeshua sums up pretty dramatically, be perfect as your father yeah. in heaven is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> pretty big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Which
0: is almost a direct quote. Yeah.
1: yeah. Trying to be. Um, any other comments? Yeah, I've got a I've got smaller thought, kind of going back to the, the
3: discussion around insults do can kind of respond to that, but every time I read that particular passage, um, it reminds me of what we pray every day at the end of the Amidah, which mm-hmm. is, Make me like dust. those who curse me, let my soul remain silent, and let my soul be in the dust of all. Mm-hmm. So it's that act of holding our tongue, uh, you know, in the face of insult and, and, and curses that people might, you know, Know, might uh, uh, you know curl curl
0: our way? We
1: are early five in that prayer or that verse office from last night. Yep. I mean, alrighty Brock. If you would do us the honors here and just read this portion, but do it pluralized. The yeah. the, the bottom
4: one. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I thank you, oh and I, our God, that you have. Establish our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early, and they arise early. We arise early for words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction. Did we read the last part? Okay. As it is written, And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceitful shall not live half their days, but as for us, we will trust in you. Amen.
0: Amen. Isn't it interesting that we just prayed about rewards?
4: Yeah.